Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. The closing arguments happened today in the Ahmad Aubrey case, and the verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is being celebrated by white supremacists who see him as a hero, while black and brown people are concerned that the message it sends is that it is open season on people of color. Any white person could shoot and kill a person of color and get away with it by claiming they felt they were under threat. And although Rittenhouse, the Rittenhouse victims were white people, people of color understand very well the implications of that ruling. And despite being labeled as extremists and terrorists, being killed, beaten, met with water cannons, uh, the pro and their protest camps burned down, farmers in India scored a huge victory against the Modi government. The farmers, formerly viewed as illiterate and uneducated, have managed to unite and have merge as a force to be reckoned with and have become the main opposition to Modi. They have established pride in being a farmer with organizational skills that movements around the world can learn from. And women farmers in India were visible in the movement. The farmers worked across movements, including a coming together of farmers and agricultural workers. The farmers' protests were noted around the world, and support for the farmers included actions in the UK and in the US. Uh, sadly, over 670 farmers have died in the movement there, and there are demands that a memorial be set up for them. Our guest is Didi Rossi, who has um, been working with organizing support for the farmers in the UK and elsewhere. She is directly in touch with women farmers and other farmers on the ground in India. She is part of the Global Women's Strike and is based in the UK. And on the trials, our guest is the Reverend Dr. Monica L. Cummings, Assistant Minister at Bradford Community Church Unitarian Universalist in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. The jury could begin deliberations today in the trial of three white men charged with killing black jogger Ahmaud Arbery. Prosecutors seeking murder convictions plan to wrap up their legal argument to jurors today as closing arguments spilled into a second day. Then Superior Court Judge Timothy Walmsley will give legal instructions to the disproportionately white jury before it begins deliberations. Christopher Martinez reports on those closing arguments. Lead prosecutor Linda Donikowski gave the prosecution's closing argument against the three defendants. All three of these defendants made assumptions, made assumptions about what was going on that day, and they made their decision to attack Ahmaud Arbery in their driveways because he was a black man running down the street. 
Prosecutors say the defendants chased Arbery, cornered him with their pickup trucks, and shot him dead. Lawyer Laura Hogue represents Gregory McMichael. She says the three men were acting within their rights by attempting to make a citizen's arrest. We work hard for our stuff. It's ours, and no one has the right to take it. A good neighborhood is always policing itself. Plaintiffs say the three men had no probable cause to make a citizen's arrest, and they were never threatened by Arbery, who was unarmed. I'm Christopher Martinez. President Biden has ordered 50 million barrels of oil released from the U.S. Strategic Reserve to help bring down energy costs. Biden made the move in coordination with other major energy-consuming nations, including China, India, and the United Kingdom. The move is aimed at taming gasoline prices ahead of Thanksgiving and other winter holiday travel. The highest average price for regular-grade gas is in the San Francisco Bay Area at $4.82 per gallon. The suspect in the Christmas parade crash in suburban Milwaukee that killed five people is set to make a court appearance this afternoon. Police say Daryl Brooks was behind the wheel of the SUV that sped through the parade route in Waukesha on Sunday, killing five people and injuring 48 others. Mayor Sean Riley spoke to a vigil last night. Tonight is the beginning of many painful nights where we will try to understand why last night's senseless actions occurred. Tonight, I thank you for being here because even though there will be many painful nights ahead, our presence says that we, as a community, will work together to help all heal. Brooks was free on $1,000 bail posted just two days before the deadly event, a fact that is leading to a review of what happened and renewed calls for giving judges more power to set higher bail. But legal experts caution that one extreme case should not be the reason to push for higher bail amounts that would keep poor defendants behind bars longer while they await trial. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol insurrection has issued subpoenas to five more people, including Donald Trump ally Roger Stone and conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. The subpoenas include demands for documents and testimony from the two, as well as three others accused of organizing and promoting the two rallies that led up to the deadly Capitol insurrection. The committee has already interviewed more than 150 people across government, social media, and law enforcement. The Biden administration says more than 90 percent of federal workers received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine by yesterday's deadline. White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Jeffrey Zients said the vast majority of federal workers are fully vaccinated and that a smaller number have pending or approved exceptions to the mandate. Ninety-five percent uh, of federal uh, workers are in compliance and 90% are already vaccinated. Uh, and this is continuing to build. Uh, the deadline is this evening. And even once the deadline passes, as we've talked about, it's not a cliff, it's not an endpoint. We'll continue to work with people, answer their questions, provide counseling and education, and get more and more people vaccinated. Federal workers who are not in compliance are said to begin a counseling process that could ultimately result in their termination if they don't get a shot or secure an approved exception to vaccination. In the executive office and at the Federal Aviation Administration, 99% of federal workers are in compliance with President Biden's order. At the Transportation Security Administration, 93%.
are in compliance. Authorities say Malika Shabazz, one of six daughters of slain civil rights leader Malcolm X, was found dead in her home in New York City. Police say the death of the 56-year-old appears to be from natural causes. Malika and her twin sister Malak were the youngest daughters of Malcolm X, who was assassinated in 1965. Malika Shabazz's death comes days after two of the three men who had been convicted of killing Malcolm X were exonerated. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We are going to be discussing the verdict, um, which upset so many people in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, as well as an update on the Ahman Aubrey case. Closing arguments are going on right now uh, in the court. And we're hoping, uh, if those arguments finish in time, to be able to speak to Barbara Arnwine, who is... Uh, in the court um, with following the Armand Aubrey case. But we are going to start out by what is seen as a tremendous uh, victory for farmers in India with implications for uh, farmers uh, indeed across the world. Uh, Let us go to a clip now uh, about um, farmers celebrating, as I announced earlier, to um, Modi's announcement repealing the laws that they had been protesting against for close to a year. Let's go to that clip now. Celebration on top of tractors at one of the main protest sites bordering Delhi, where tens of thousands of farmers have been protesting for almost a year. India's Prime Minister finally bowing to the demands of protesters now says three controversial laws designed to modernize the agricultural industry will be repealed. Today, I'm requesting all of our protesting farmers. Today is the holy day of Guru Purb festival. Please return to your homes, return to your farms, return to your families. Let's start a new beginning. The Indian government had repeatedly claimed the laws which relaxed the rules around the sale and pricing of produce were good for farmers. But farmers' unions said they feared the reforms would encourage corporations to manipulate prices which in turn would hurt their income. Despite Modi's assurances, farmer leaders have said that protests will continue till these three amendments, which resumes later this month. The other sticking point is something called the minimum support price, a price guarantee set by the government which gives farmers a kind of safety net when crop prices fall. Modi's about face comes ahead of state elections in Punjab and Uttar Pradesh. Both have a significant farmer population. I mean, the timing indicates that there is an electoral motive behind the repeal uh, of these uh, farm laws, but it's not obvious how the government is going to convert a policy policy loss into um, electoral gains. While farmers have welcomed the government's move, there's still a lack of trust. This government changes even clothes based on political convenience. Of course, they have the upcoming election in mind. Braving the winter, the COVID-19 pandemic and the heat, these men and women left their homes to join the fight against these government reforms. Let anyone spend a day on the road and see how difficult it is to survive. And we've been here for a year through everything. 
But only time will tell if these farmers, India's biggest voter bloc, reinstate their faith in Modi's government in the upcoming state elections. Vidika Sood, CNN, New Delhi. Right, and support for the farmer protests in India uh, took place in many places in the world, including the UK as well as the United States. And as you just heard, after massive protests by farmers in India um, involving um, some say millions perhaps of, of protesters. The farmers' movement scored a victory as Indian Prime Minister uh, Modi was forced to back down and repeal three contentious farm laws that had prompted um, the protests in India. Now, keep in mind that India's agricultural sector is about 60% of India's uh, workforce, impacting hundreds of millions of people. Farmers and social justice campaigners in India have pointed out that the laws put their farms and ability to survive at risk, given that the laws gave wealthy multinational companies control over the pricing of their crops. As you can imagine, this imposed a tremendous hardship for small and medium-scale uh, farmers who, as it is, were barely struggling uh, to survive. Now, in uh, 2020, after Modi's, by the way, it's a right wing, a government to the right, failed to repeal the laws, hundreds of thousands of farmers marched to Delhi's um, right outside uh, Delhi to protest. And on the way, uh, Modi lobbed police barricades, water cannons, tear gas canisters against the protesters who set up camps along the main highways in the capital. And this was despite uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, the brutally cold winters, the baking hot summers, the police repression, tens of thousands of farmers from diverse backgrounds stuck it out and remained at the camps around uh, Delhi uh, ever since. Now, here to um, fill us in about all of this, I'd like to welcome uh, Didi Rossi. She has been key in organizing support in the UK as well as in other countries for the farmers, including helping to plan a victory celebration on Friday, November 26th in London. That marks the one year anniversary of the farmers' strike. Didi has been in direct contact with farmers and their supporters on the ground in India, and she is a member of the Global Women's Strike in the UK and working with many in the Global Women's Strike, as you could well imagine, on this particular initiative supporting the India farmers' protests. Didi, Rossi, welcome. Hi, thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Great to be on. Thank oh. you. Okay, so Didi, this was, uh, you know, a, a lot of people expressed surprise at what, uh, at the Modi announcement. And of course, uh, many are cynically saying, well, he made this move because of an election that's coming up. And his party wasn't really doing that well, and he's hoping to gain some votes from it. But it's really a lot more than that, isn't it? I mean, the, the farmers made a tremendous uh, struggle, and this is definitely a win for them. Um, Didi, your thoughts on this? Um, it's a fantastic, uh, momentous, historic victory um, by a movement which has been unrelenting against these farm laws. Like you said, uh, people have braved the harsh winters, the scorching summers, 
uh, people have died to defend uh, their right to farm, their right to survive, and theirs and their families' right to survive uh, by growing their crops on small holdings, and they demand a fair price for their crops. Um, uh, people had been camping uh, round Delhi. Um, the farmers' movement had called people already before this announcement to go in their thousands to march on Delhi uh, for this uh, commemorating this anniversary of this unwavering struggle. And I'm sure Modi um, and his cohorts in government, that's the last thing they want. They know there has been fantastic public support. Um, you mentioned millions, and in fact, in November, the 26th of November last year, over 250 million people came out in support of the farmers against these laws, the three farm laws, against repressive labor codes um, and other repressive legislation. But it was key particularly, it was a call out from farmers to the whole population of India. And factory workers came out, textile workers, transport, people working in education, everyone came out. And it's the biggest strike in history. And they really showed their power then. But the, the, since they have done that, they have kept solid. The protests have been solid. They've been, they've really, like you say, really organized across divisions. Modi kept trying to, um, you know, incite divisions, incite the racism, incite um, classism, caste um, racism, and he has not succeeded. The farmers have succeeded against him doing that. So they also, have also built an, a fantastic broadening movement. And women and um, Adivasi and Dalit women, uh, the Adivasi is the indigenous women, and Dalit people may know as of untouchable caste, have been really central to the movement um, from the beginning. Um, maybe not always as visible, but um, really central in mobilizing people at village area. Um, and, you know, we, we have been, we really... Uh, found out about the farmers' protest, also from our um, sisters in rural Chhattisgarh, which includes farm workers, Dalit and Adivasi farmers, and farm, in particular farm workers, because they don't own the land. They work for the landowners and face a lot of violence for that and very low wages. But they told us about the uh, farmers' laws, what it me would mean to them, and we have been involved um, you know, since January in doing whatever we can to circulate the demands of the farmers' movement and to mobilize, help mobilize support um, in whatever way we can. We're, um, but the farmers have said we have been in touch directly with uh, people in the movement in India, and they have said it is a big victory, but it's a partial victory because there are continuing demands that need to be met. Um, and until then, the farmers' protest will continue. You refer to the minimum support price for all farmers for all crops. They want a legally binding guarantee. Um, many, there's very few crops that are covered by that at the moment, and many farmers do not get it. They're, they get terrible, very low prices for their crops, and there have been many suicides. Um, you know, there have been in 2019 there was over 10,000 suicides of farm workers um, and farmers, and that's women and men, and but when the you know the, the women quite often it is the sons the, the fathers who go into debt they can't afford the pesticides they can't afford the GM seeds people are now can't, are not able to grow the have the indigenous seeds and so they're really tied up with the corporations like Bayer which has taken over Monsanto 
and other ones, including um, Israeli companies like Netafim, who also uh, abuse Palestinian people and take steel Palestinian land. So, you know, the farmers are really have been at the mercy of the corporations, and this time they said, no, that is enough. We've had enough, and we have been learning so much from this movement. Um, and we're, we were absolutely, like, crying with joy when we heard this announcement. But now we realize that the serious work must continue, and we must continue supporting, we must broaden the support and increase it in all different countries that we can to show the farmers that we are with them. This is really a moment of, you know, they're going to be marching to Delhi on the 29th when the winter session opens in Parliament to witness and make sure the laws are passed. And then they have to carry on pressing for the MSP, the repeal of the Labour Code. The, they want all farmers who have been and farm workers who have been in prison during the struggle released. They want, uh, like you say, compensation paid to the families of the the martyrs, the people who have died at the camps while protesting and defending us all, really. And they want them, uh, the farmers' families, pay compensation, uh, a public apology and homage paid by the government and a statue. Um, the farmers are also now calling for, uh, which we, we thought was absolutely fantastic, a uh, incentives and support for farmers who are at the moment dependent on pesticides and agri-business farming, they want incentives and support to farmers to be able to shift to natural farming and away from monocultural farming. Um, look, there's, there's, there's many more demands to be met, and we are standing absolutely firm, as I know many of your listeners and people around the world are standing firm with the farmers. Yeah, and, and Didi, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, agribusiness, because one of the things that uh, Selma James, who is the founder of the Wages for House for a Campaign and a coordinator of the Global Women's Strike, who really encouraged all of us to pay attention to what was going on in India and recognize it uh, for the significance uh, that it was and is. And in terms of what it means for um, uh, small farmers, family farms, right here in the United States, but also also around the world, what this means is uh, when Selma said that the farmers in India are standing for us all and fighting for us all, the references to the fact that they have managed to defeat agribusiness, including, as you say, um, uh, Monsanto. We've done so much coverage on, on Monsanto. I think it's a totally evil company uh, now owned uh, by Bayer. And as you say, this um, the laws would have given more power to these multinationals, including the Israeli company that you mentioned. But just as the environmental crisis uh, you know, grows and COP26 hasn't really dealt with it in any way. What is, you know, the people who care for the land, for standing first and foremost, the agricultural workers and the farm and the farmers that are trying to resist these um, agribusiness, these multinational corporations, and really work on smaller farms, and as you say, in a more natural way. So this is has a direct connection, doesn't it, um, to uh, what's happening with the environment, um, Didi. Rossi. Absolutely, Your absolutely. Thoughts. I mean, the farmers, the farmers have been defending themselves, their farms, their areas. They've been defending the soil on which we all depend. Um, they've even been sort of targeted and penalised for 
um, in a pollution act, you know, a pollution act in Delhi, and they're not the main polluters by any means, and so they've been criminalized in many ways. But they have been, this is, they, actually, the, the Samyukta Kisa Mocha, the umbrella organization of Farmers Union, said, if I can quote them, what we are seeing today is the story of marginalization and impoverishment of farmers is similar in many countries of the world, with corporate takeover of our food and farming systems. What the Indian farmers are doing is churning up a debate about future directions of our food, farming systems all over the country to protect ourselves and our planet. So they, they're thinking very much, they're organizing internationally. Um, you know, we also um, are really trying to highlight the demands of farmers, women farmers, men farmers, and uh, children who are farming in Africa, you know, who are denouncing industrial food production, land grabbing, deforestation, and eviction. And like you say, people are really fighting to be able to for the means to be able to farm naturally. And we were, um, we, we are really promoting in Andhra Pradesh um, natural farming where um, over 700,000 uh, farmers, and mainly women in self-help groups, have been farming without pesticides um, using local, local uh, protection like neem leaves and other local herbs to protect the seeds, to inoculate them, planting them, they are having crops which grow 365 days a year. The moisture is taken from the, the air. Um, they are not using pesticides. Nutrition has improved. Women's incomes has improved. And this is, you know, they, they want to spread uh, from under pedestrian, spread it in other countries. And they've also been uh, organizing with people in different uh, countries in Africa. So there is, this is really... A, a sort of, you know, life or death. The farmers have said that from the beginning. This is a life and death struggle. Um, you know, we want to be able to grow food, eat good food, not poison the soil, regenerate the soil, and, you know, to be able to live in peace, you know, without the repression and the violence that the governments and corporations hand in glove are imposing on us. Um, we, can I just mention, we are organizing with in in, in Indian Workers Association, GB, and Women of Color in the Global Women's Strike organizing um, a celebration and a protest for, um, on the, this Friday of the anniversary of this, this protest at the High Commission of India. We're also, we're also finding out that young Sikh people in another part of the UK are organizing a sleep out uh, in front of the Gurdwara. There's a play about... Um, uh, by the Indian Workers Association, a play about the farmers' struggle against Modi's farm laws, which is touring UKY. These are just a few of the things that are happening. We know people in lots of different countries um, are doing whatever they can to support the farmers. We, we are, Didi, we are short of time, so I was going to ask you about the protests being organized in London, but also for people across the U.S. Uh, that are listening uh, to this um, show, there's also a call, um, a statement asking people to endorse actions in India um, and around the world to mark uh, this first uh, anniversary. And um, interesting to see that part of the statement requesting the endorsement says stop 
plundering the soil and the people. So, Didi, we are going to uh, post that call on the social media of the show and encourage our listeners who are listening right now uh, to go to uh, the Sojourner Truth social media to get this. And if you are a member of an organization, a farmer, etc., we can't actually make a call for people to, um, you know, to sign the petition, but we certainly hope that you will look at it and uh, hopefully consider it. But Didi, we are going to have to leave it there. We have to go on to these trials happening here uh, in the yeah. United States, the Rittenhouse verdict and the trial happening now in um, in the Amand Aubrey trial. But we appreciate all of your work and we want to thank you so very much uh, for joining us. And Didi, if people want to find out more about this, can they go to the Global Women's Strike website to get some more information? Absolutely. Yes, www.globalwomenstrike.net. Yes, we put all our, the posts up there, the information that we get from the farmers' unions and the movement in, the, in India. Absolutely. Thank you, Margaret. Right. Thank you. And any listeners out here who have been doing support uh, for the farmers in India, we definitely want to uh, hear from you. Um, you can uh, write to us at sojournertruthradio at gmail.com. Uh, we are going to take a short station break now and maybe return uh, these trials focusing on race uh, in the United States. Um, the Amand Aubrey trial, the closing arguments are happening right now as we speak. Also, the Rittenhouse verdict. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Great Bob Marley and Small Axe. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. You could also check out our website at sotrueradio.org with a community calendar and a lot more news as well as video. And if you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at sotrueradio. We are nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we would like to give a shout out uh, in the United States. Actually, let's do a shout out to farm workers, agricultural uh, workers in uh, California and indeed across the nation. And internationally, let's give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in India. Uh, where the farmers just had a tremendous uh, victory there. We are now going to uh, turn our attention uh, to these trials um, going on in the United States. A Rittenhouse trial actually done now um, with a, a verdict, a divided nation was on hand, outrage on uh, the one hand and on the other hand, celebrating the fact that on Friday, November 19th, Kyle Rittenhouse, a white 18-year-old who murdered two protesters and seriously injured a third back in 2020, was found not guilty on all five counts he was charged with. The jury had just one uh, black member and reached a verdict after about 25 hours of deliberation. Let's go now to get 
yet hear some reaction um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin to the verdict. And that's followed by a short piece from Al Sharpton on the uh, Rittenhouse uh, verdict. This is another instance where uh, we get to see privilege at work. That's scary to think that not only police can, can get away with this type of stuff, but citizens can do this type of stuff and use the same copy and paste excuses that police do. That, is, that should be concerning to every American of color. This is America. And in America, you can arm a 17-year-old and send them out into the streets to act pretty much as police, as stand-in police. We know that not to be true for our communities. I mean, you can, I could be 34 years old and be open carrying and get stopped and um, treated differently. So Trayvon Martin, uh, Ma Aubrey, these are all instances similar to this case where someone else decided who's the, who the criminal is, whether it's factual or not, and took matters into their own hands. You have people who, irregardless of what evidence they see, they feel that Kyle's a hero. I'm here to be an agitator for Black Lives Matter. I like antagonizing them. And they were saying, no, he's guilty. I'm like, did we just like entered a time warp or something? There's a courtroom, there's a judge, there's evidence, there's witnesses, there's cross-examination, and there's a jury. So if you want to get it down to the absolute bottom line, the judge is a judge of law. The jury is a judge of facts. I did get to see the people honking their horns in front of the courthouse. Everybody was happy. It was definitely a atmosphere of elation and relief. I'm sad to, that we're the center of this. I think it, um, all the troubles that are going around across the nation seem to settle here in this uh, small town. And it's, we want everyone gone. I don't believe what you see on the media is reflective of our city. I think we are a city that works together, that is overall a peaceful city with, with a, a good place to raise a family and live. And um, what has been going on this year, I think Kenosha is getting a very bad rap. And what you're seeing is not who we are. I think we're forgetting that the whole context of Rittenhouse coming there was around a protest of a police brutality uh, situation. And this was not like a guy was defending himself at his house. He came to confront a situation of protest. And those kind of protests, I think Vice President Harris is familiar with. And I think that many of us that do protest, as you say, I hit National Action Network, are concerned that you send a signal now mm -hmm. that people can come into a protest and exacerbate a situation or get involved in a situation and kill people and say, I was just defending myself. That's very frightening. Right. Uh, very frightening indeed. Al Sharpton with the National Action uh, Network. And I'd like to uh, welcome uh, back to Sojourner Truth, the Reverend Dr. Monica L. Cummings, Assistant Minister at Bradford Community Church Unitarian Universalist in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, Reverend Cummings, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. How are you? Oh, 
Okay, just just hanging in there with you know all of this happening, um, the 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 verdict, the Rittenhouse verdict, and now Amand um, Arbery, you know, we're listening. Uh, the the closing arguments are going on even as we are talking right now. But give us your reaction to the b- verdict. What do you think the the message and the significance of the Rittenhouse verdict is? Well, it, 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 thank you for having me on your show again. It's, it's very significant. Um, this isn't exactly about the, you know, First Amendment versus Second Amendment rights, but it definitely flavors um, people's comfort in terms of who can show up to a peaceful protest armed with a military-style weapon. So the significance is, as Reverend Al said, as many people have said, concern here in Kenosha by activists is, are we safe at protests? Um, are we safe in our community uh, protesting, exercising our First Amendment right um, without the fear that armed vigilantes will show up to our community with mil- military-style weapons? And, and, you know, the line for both police and now for civilians is, I felt threatened they reached for my gun, so I had to shoot. And so, you know... There's, there's a lot of concern that the Second Amendment is eating the First Amendment, and the First Amendment comes first for a reason. And so that's one of the, I think, most important points. But this was a murder trial. This was the murder trial for someone who was then 17, and I'm not going to say his name because I don't think he deserves to have his name said. Um, this was the murder trial for a 17-year-old who came to Kenosha from another state, who was called to Kenosha from another state by a white nationalist, white nationalist supposedly to protect property and people. And that's not what transpired that night. Yeah, and I mean, the idea, you know, I was just on a, a, a call yesterday and um, someone was kind of making the case, well, you know, looking at the video, you know, um, you could really see that it was self-defense and, and kind of defending in a way the the acquittal, you know, on five counts. And we have to keep in mind that this young man, um, the, the first person that he shot, from what I understand, threw a plastic bag at him. So you shoot somebody and kill them because they're shooting a plastic bag at you. And the other thing about it is that uh, the young man who um, allegedly hit him on the head or whatever with a skateboard, I mean, clearly these are people who were trying to stop an active shooter, someone they saw as an active shooter. It used to be that that would be considered a heroic act and not one for which you would be shot and killed. But also, uh, Reverend Cummings, you can't help but go way back to the Trayvon uh, Martin trial and these stand-your-ground laws that have swept the nation. I think now about 35 or 36 states uh, have it, and then the the Trump White House fanning the flames of of all of this. So, of course, you know, people are going to likely give pause to, am I going to go out to that protest or not? Increasingly, as people are showing up with long guns, um, Reverend Cummings. And and that is significant because I'm also, besides being the assistant minister for Bradford UU, um, I'm also part of the Religious Leaders Caucus of Cush, 
congregations united to serve humanity. And there are folks, you know, ministers, they've heard from congregants, like, I'm afraid to go out and protest now. Um, I'm concerned about, you know, whether or not it'll turn violent. And, and you're right, bringing up Trayvon Martin. His, his killer stalked him. And, and when he was confronted, you know, said pretty much the same thing. He reached for my gun. I felt in danger of my life, so I had to shoot. And in terms of an active shooter, you're also correct on that point. You know, um, Anthony and Gage thought that, you know, either witnessed or, or through word of mouth heard that this guy had just shot someone and possibly killed them. And so they thought they were being good citizens to apprehend him. And then for that to turn into, well, he can, he can um, plead self-defense and, and clearly get away with it. So, it, it, you know, the law, as we know, the law was set up to do exactly what we saw do. So, you know, I hear people say the law is broken. And my response is the law is not broken. It is, it is working perfectly the way it was designed. You go way back to when, when, people, when people of African descent were enslaved in this country. And white males were debutized and were given the power to take up arms to track down um, the enslaved who were trying to run for their freedom. We see it with the lynch mobs that were given a wink and a nod by the authorities, you know, to, to lynch um, black people. And so vigilante justice goes, it's in the DNA of this country. And so for a white male to pick up arms to, um, to exact the you know, justice for, um, you know, for whatever cause he, he believes in is part of the DNA of this country and its history. Absolutely. And the, and we know that the, there were protests uh, following um, the verdict in Kenosha. We understand that there was a heel Kenosha um event that happened, prayer vigil on Friday night. Um, Portland, Oregon, of course, much more um, militant. Protesters were out there. The sheriff's office declared a riot. Um, and we know that in Portland, following George Floyd protests, they were out on the streets for like 100 days um, in a row. And much of that, quote unquote, turning violent, some people say provoked. Uh, violence in New York City. Hundreds of demonstrators marched across the Brooklyn Bridge and, and gathered outside the Barclays Center in Brooklyn with, with signs. Some people also blocked the Brooklyn uh, Bridge in Oakland, California. There were protests also in the Midwest, in Chicago, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, in Los Angeles and, and other places. But, you know, um, Reverend Cummings, you do see uh, the protests uh, more muted than you saw, for example, after you know the the killing of George Floyd, and there the level of attack happening in our communities right now. I mean, with these trials, the danger of people feeling that they could be shot and killed, right, just for exercising their uh, First Amendment rights, the voter suppression uh, laws that are happening, nothing being done about the the out of control uh, mass incarceration. So there's a lot happening on people right now. But what what do you see in terms of uh, the the movement as it stands now, movement for justice in Kenosha? Well, and, and you're right. We did have a, a lot of vigils here um, Friday night. 
um, two organizations, Black Leaders of Communities and LOC, Leaders of, of Kenosha, um, hosted from the time the verdict was announced, um, well, from the time the verdict was announced through the weekend, hosted a gathering where there was a grill going and, you know, just tables of food. And um, I led a couple of yoga classes during the week um, there to bring the community. It was a place to bring the community together away from the courthouse, which turned into a circus um, to allow people to process, to allow people to be in community and just to, just to, to cry and in a safe space and, and begin the healing process, which, as you know, will be one breath and one day at a time. Um, here in Kenosha now, we're where there's a campaign, Reimagine Kenosha, and looking at, you know, boycotting the car dealer who invited the, the militia into Kenosha to supposedly protect his property. And on the stand, the guy said, we had no intention on shooting anyone to protect this property. So it begs the question, then if you had no intention to shoot anyone who would, for example, try to break into the building or set cars on fire, then why were they really here um, if, if their intent was not to, to fire the weapons at anyone? And so Reimagine Kenosha, you know, is advocating to boycott that car dealership and, um, and all their properties. Um, to, to, again, have people focus on voting, because I don't know if you mentioned the judge, you know, there are people who feel, and I feel the same way, that when the judge said that Anthony and JoJo could not be called victims, but could be called rioters, arsonists, and looters, but could not be called victims, even though they're, they were murdered, um, had his thumb, not even his thumb, he had his whole hand on the, the scale of justice. And so one of the things that's being advocated is to get people out and vote because judges are voted in here in Kenosha. Get people out to vote for the mayor um, who was incompetent throughout the summer of 2020 um, after Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back. Um, and so uh, organizing the community to reimagine, to be begin healing the, uh, the healing process because we've been going through this now for like 15 months and people are tired. Uh, folks are exhausted. Um, and so just reimagine a Kenosha where um, we have a good relationship with the police. Um, we have a good relationship with merchants. We have a good relationship with one another as we move forward. Right. You, you know what, um, Reverend Cummings, hold that thought because we have Barbara Arnwine who is just in the court house, the courtroom, where the final, um, you know, arguments were given in the Amand Aubrey case trial. I'd like to welcome her on, but you stay with us, um, Reverend uh, Cummings. And uh, I'd now like to uh, welcome back to Sojourner Truth, uh, Barbara Arnwine, veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate, president and founder of the Transformative uh, Justice uh, Coalition. She's been doing this work for decades. Uh, she's been arrested so many times. She's been sitting in the courtroom and, and uh, lending support to the family of um, Ahmad, Aubrey, Barbara. Welcome back. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am literally talking to you from the steps of the courthouse here in Glen County. Uh, where the Ahmad Arbery trial is concluding. Uh, as we are about to have the judge instruct the jury, and the jury will start its deliberations today. 
So this is a major day in this case. And and tell us if anything you want to share about what happened in the courthouse yes. today. Yes, uh, today the uh, prosecution, the state, finished its uh, a, a closing argument. And I want you to know that Linda Donikowski, who is the um, prosecutor for the district of, uh, I'm sorry, for the Cobb County, uh, which is actually handling this case, was magnificent. She was at her best. I thought it was, uh, if you were grading a closing argument, it, it was an A. She was absolutely superb in pointing out how they murdered this young man for no good reason and pointing out the bias that had in the malice that underlied uh, the work that they did. She was absolutely 100% on her game. It was a brilliantly laid out argument. I recommend it to anybody who wants to really understand this case and what happened. Uh, You will want to go and see her two-hour closing argument from this morning. Right, and and from the the point of view of um, the uh, the lawyer who really tried to dehumanize Ahmad uh, yes. yesterday, I think, and and to blame yes. him for his own death, and then talking about his dirty toenails. I Come on now, Arnwine, your oh, thoughts? Oh, yes. oh no, they see, they want to dehumanize him. They want to make him into some kind of animal uh, to try to justify this inhumane slaying. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, Ahmad was just a regular kid, and he was just a regular 25-year-old, you know, running, and they can't get a past that. You know, there's no narrative they can point to that could justify it because nobody saw his feet <laughs> when he was running. Uh, nobody could see his toenails. I mean, it was just irrelevant, but it showed you how desperate they were to try to appeal to the white women jurors, which is what the defense has done in this case. They've been, uh, because the majority of this jury are white women, uh, they have been trying to appeal to them by trying to make them fear, fear Ahmad, to see Ahmad as some kind of you know, horrible uh, danger. When he was not, he was just a kid running, jogging through their neighborhood, who would step into this construction house because he was fascinated by it. He never took a thing. In fact, if you watch those videos of him, and I recommend people do, in the construction house, you will see that he's not even looking for anything. There are boxes. There are all kinds of uh, items there that if you were a thief, you would be looking through. Instead, he is just looking at the building, looking at the construction because he was an electrician, and he was fascinated to see what they were doing, and he was daydreaming daydreaming for his parents because he wanted to build them a home. So in any event, it is just has been an amazing case uh, because uh, they have tried to make the victim the, you know, the, the attacker when he was nothing but a young person trying to live his life, trying to you know, find his way, getting ready to start school again, college again, had just gotten his sister, by the way, to complete her master's degree. He was her main support. 
They said this young man was so generous that he would give you the shirt off his back, that that's the kind of person he was. Mm -hmm. So you can really understand the loss we have suffered, not only because he's dead, but we lost a really extraordinary young man. And it's tragic that racism played a role. And I think the prosecution did a good job of using their own words to show their racist uh, motivations here in this case. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, the they kept trying to say, well, the, what, are, what are all these black ministers showing up? I mean, that's unbelievable, <laughs> trying to ban black preachers. And, and then I was glad to see that they showed up en masse right after that uh, to the courthouse and held something out, outside the court. So this, I mean, the, the racist uh, aspect of it and that dirty tone thing that's just a racist trope you know because you know black folks you know we just we're dirty you know what i mean just a dirty n-word if you know what i mean that's what she was trying to to say mean Uh unnecessary uh, but just remember that uh kevin goff who has moved uh he's the defense attorney who has who made those horrible comments about the black pastors but also remember that he has filed at least six motions trying to uh, to eviscerate as he says the first amendment rights of the transformative justice coalition my organization from being out here on the grounds because we have been rallying the brunswick community when we started nobody was out here helping this family. But we now have, you know, if you could, I guess, I wish you could see it. We have people coming every day, standing up with the family, giving them support. Uh, and he hates it. He hates seeing the Transformative Justice Coalition here. So he's called us a mob, a lynch mob, all kinds of things, uh, and has tried to uh, evict us from the courthouse grounds. So when he did the black pastor's uh, comments, I wasn't surprised. In fact, I was waiting for him. I knew he was going to lose his mind when he saw Reverend William Barber, Reverend Sharpton, Reverend Jesse Jackson. I knew he was going to lose his mind because he's a racist. And it's just unfortunate that he was the public defender for years. Uh, Can you imagine all the poor African-American clients and what happened to them under his, quote, leadership? Uh, I heard that a whole lot of people are serving time they shouldn't be. So anyway, uh, this is one of those issues of you know massive law enforcement corruption. So much is happening in, underneath this case. We got to you know continue to unravel it. But I am hopeful that the jury will do the right thing. She sure gave them the tools. She sure gave them the information. She sure uh, did a great job giving them the analysis and pointing out how they are, in fact, guilty. So I think it's going to, uh, it shouldn't be a hard reach for this jury, but you never know, especially when it's an almost all-white jury. You never know. Barbara Arwine, it just so happens before you came on, we have the Reverend Monica Cummings, who is yes. in Kenosha. Um, her church is in, oh, in yes. Kenosha. And uh, Reverend Cummings, uh, I wonder if you just want to give any thoughts you have on this particular uh, our trial, because you're dealing with the, the Rittenhouse verdict. And then a, a quick final thought from you, uh, Barbara Arnwine. Uh Reverend Cummings. Well, and I do. And, and the thread that connects them is people, gun violence against people who supposedly are seen as a threat. 
And Ahmad is African American. And while JoJo and Anthony were white, as we saw yes. during the civil rights movement, white folks who side with people of color are considered race traitors and they're That's fair correct. game. And so yes. there's definitely a thread that's running through both trials. And my prayer is that these three will be found guilty and be sent to jail for murdering an innocent uh, young man out for a morning jog. My goodness. Yeah, and uh, a thank you. A final word from you, um, um, yes. um, uh, Barbara. And also, just Barbara, there's so many attacks happening in our community uh, right yes. now. But you see the movement is continuing to, to do what it can and grow and build. Barbara Arnwine. That's correct, and that's why we're here in Glenn County. That's why I'm talking to you from the courthouse steps here. And I just want people to know that if you go to social media and look up Repairs of the Breach and you look up Transformative Justice Coalition, you will find our flyer that we're going to put out uh, this afternoon because tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock a.m. Eastern, we're having a prayer service for the Arbery case, and of course, you know, for the losses uh, in Kenosha. You know, our hearts, for those of us who love justice, all of these cases, Julius Jones, all these cases are connected, and we will never, ever stop fighting for justice. My heart breaks just looking at Tamir Rice's picture from yesterday on his anniversary. So I just want everybody to know that this justice fight it's one that we all must be involved in. We all must fight to make the criminal justice system a much better and real system for all Americans. And no, no racial injustice should dominate our criminal justice system. Right. On that note, we are going to have to leave it there. Barbara Arnwine, thank you so much for stepping out of the court there to speak with us. The Reverend Monica L. Uh, Cummings. Uh, we want to thank Didi Rossi as well. We're out of time. Uh, thank you all so much. Um, today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. Uh, the audio engineer, Federico Garcia. Our sister producer, Romero Funes. You can get a copy of today's show from the Pacifica Radio Archives. Thank you for listening. And you all, please remember to stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. As they carry us through the gate.